So, um, I discovered another resource, an author who wrote Shorting the Grid, and her name is Meredith Angwin, A-N-G-W-I-N. And I discovered her through an interview with um, Alex Epstein. They were talking about the grid going down in Texas during the freeze earlier this year in February. Well, not going down, but I should say um, widespread blackouts. So there wasn't rolling blackouts. There was just widespread people without power for, for about a week. I mean, it was days. It was at least five days. So um, Alex Epstein has been good about talking about, um, you know, um, renewable energy versus other types of energy, fossil fuels, and how it seems that fossil fuel energy is sort of under attack. Um, and he's the guy that promotes energy freedom. So he'd like, you know, the government to stay out of mandating policy decisions for energy and let the free market decide which energy sources to use. And his perspective comes from a human flourishing point. Um, and that point is that humans are better off um, when they have uh, reliable, low-cost energy. And his, his idea about climate change is that we need to look at um, all positive and all negatives of using fossil fuels. Um, and his, I'm summing it down, but his idea is that the positives far outweigh the negatives, which have been completely um, overhyped and been proven over 30, 40 years to be alarmist and incorrect as far as their catastrophic forecasts. So um, he's a really good resource for the philosophy, understanding the philosophy of energy. Um, and then I, I don't know if he gets into the, the granular of the grid, uh, but I, I'm sure he's somewhat interested in it um, for sure. So he interviewed um, this author who wrote Shorting the Grid, and she um, has done a lot of research into the grid policy governance structure, I'd say probably from, I haven't read her book yet, just discovered her. But I think she's focused on governance issues and how these and how these um, RTOs, which is regional transmission organizations, are set up and how the market works. And um, the disincentives, she points out the disincentives of these organizations and they're failing. So, um, there's many, many videos of her on YouTube uh, being interviewed. She's written a book. She's also done some courses, some longer form courses um, that are a little bit more difficult to find, but they are there. Um, and I'm sure the book is, is does a really deep dive, which I have not uh, read yet, but I plan to. So what I've learned so far, so I went down this rabbit hole of watching the interview with Alex and Meredith, and then I looked for a few other interviews that Meredith did, and then I 
I somehow stumbled on Enron, and I don't know how I did that, but I, I forget how I came across it, and I really like to remember what took me to another topic, because I know it was related. And I believe it was, now that I'm thinking back, it most likely was the fact that in 2001, we had, or California had, several, um, I guess, days or weeks, I'm not sure, of blackouts, of rolling blackouts or just blackouts. Um, And this was when Enron was basically accused of maybe manipulating the market. Although you could argue that what they did might not have actually been illegal. Enron, I got into this whole Enron deep dive and, um, you know, came across Smartest Guys in the Room, which is a book and a film, discovered this author. Uh, and her, her name is... Um, Her name is Bethany McLean, Mick, M-C-L-E-A-N, Bethany McLean. She wrote the book and then uh, someone helped uh, make a movie out of her book. And uh, she, and then I went on a rabbit hole chasing down her articles and she seems to be very well thought out. She's an investigative journalist who investigates businesses, usually fraudulent ones. Or, or just financial um, crisis, crises. Um, she's written several books, one on the fracking um, uh, shale revolution that blew up in 2000, um, well, 2000, what was it? Was it 14 or 2018? I'm not sure. But she wrote the book in 2018. And she basically, I think her argument is that like, uh, the shale revolution was only possible for 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 uh, because we had cheap money, and yet um, these businesses were were not cash flow positive. So something was amiss here, where we were told this this revolution is going to change the way you know America um, is going to be energy independent, and it's going to be so successful. And yet, uh, why are these why are these companies now failing whenever the Fed goes and raises interest rates? She's also written a book on the postmortem of Fannie and Freddie in the 08 crisis. And she wrote a book, of course, on Enron, uh, which launched her career. Um, but yeah, she's, um, I think she's a, a good find. I think she's got a lot of good um, thinking patterns. And um, so I, I kind of went on that rabbit hole for a while. But back to Enron. Um, so I think I jumped from uh, Meredith's book, Shorting the Grid, to Enron because of the 2001 blackouts that California had. And this was around the time of Enron collapse. And I don't want to just blame Enron. I'm sure there were lots of other companies doing the same thing. But Enron um, was apparently, they have traders basically um, that were wiretapped saying or phone records saying that um celebrating whenever like there was a fire and it was near a power plant and the power plant had to shut down you know so and i haven't seen the entire documentary but um they were celebrating this is because the firm could make more money because 
supply would be contracted. And that means that um, supply and demand, demand would go up, price would rise. So there's also interviews of, well, there's also recordings of traders, you know, asking power plants to shut down for some reason to increase demand. Um, But underneath all of this is how the grid and the system um, was set up. And um, the author of Smartest Guys in the Room pointed this out, is that you can't just point at one person um, or even one company. This was a system-wide failure. Uh, Regulators were gave in wrong pass and the way the california grid system was set up was this i guess rto i don't know if they were the first one to to create this new deregulated they call it deregulated um but it's not really deregulated it's not a free market they created this rto in california and they basically enron figured out a way to take advantage of it you know they bought and sold energy apparently they're the first ones to do so and it was only it, so they they created a financial market out of energy. So the story of Enron is pretty interesting, and I think it relates directly to the fact that the system of the way the grid is set up uh, changed. Um, I think um, so. Meredith, the person who wrote "Shorting the Grid," said that this started happening in 1990, and Enron blew up in 2001. So I don't know for how, I don't know how long they were, you know, doing trading on the trade energy and causing havoc for the California grid, but, um, it was probably quite a while in the late nineties. And then of course it blew up in 2001 and I'm not sure I shouldn't use the word blew up. I don't, I don't even know what exactly happened. I think that they were still making money. Maybe they entered some bad trades. I don't know, but I think what happened, and I I can't, I need to go back and you know make sure this is correct. But so far, my initial assessment is that what happened is they tried to pump their stock price. They inflated their books, so they did a little bit of creative accounting and got nailed basically on that. So and then their stock price slipped because of the the news and the CEO stepped down. And what happened was apparently the, the, the price of the stock was so important to this company for, for many reasons, but but the one that probably triggered the collapse was that it was important because it they they used it to, to borrow money or they used it for collateral and it really depended on this price going up. Uh, of course, the price going up was beneficial to the execs who had stock options and um, Price was dependent on an ever, you know, increasing stock price. And remember, this was going on um, during the general euphoria of the two thousand, you know, late nineties run up in the stock price, stock market price, where everybody was trading the dot com bu- bubble. So it was very euphoric, and uh, it was just short term um, euphoria that got caught up, and then um, I guess. You know, 2001, I can't remember when the bubble popped. I think it was 2000, March was the peak. But I can't, you know, 2001, I think it was already on the decline. And so this happened, you know, when the market was going down. So that's probably not a coincidence. So I don't even, there might have been a little bit of accounting fraud apparently, but with creative accounting 
nowadays, I don't think you could be hit with that kind of thing. Um, I think it's more mainstream now to do that kind of accounting. Uh, writing a bubble, I mean, perverse incentives of the cheap money, that's nothing new. That happens today. And uh, buying and selling energy, that happens today. There's more RTOs than, than anywhere. So this whole idea about it being a huge fraud, I, I mean, I'm not. I'm actually not convinced that they did anything that other people weren't doing. So I think it was probably really difficult to prosecute this case and that they only really, maybe they were ethically wrong, but they really didn't do anything all that wrong. I mean, because the system, the point is, is that they shouldn't, they shouldn't bear full responsibility because the system was set up to incentivize certain behaviors. And if you look at the underlying, you know, reason, it was not only the stock market price appreciation and the bubble, but also you know, them trying to inflate their their books to justify a ever increasing stock price, but it was also what was going on that allowed them to trade, um, you know, energy in California and create massive uh, problems for the grid and hurt, you know, basically many households in California when the power went out. Um, but but that that part of it wasn't illegal. I mean, and people still do that today. Companies still do that today. So, um, and I don't know if uh, the author of Smartest Guys in the Room actually dug into the details of the grid. I don't know since I haven't read the book. Um, I don't know if she digs into the energy market, but I think that it's a very, very complex story and you could focus on, on many different reasons why what happened happened in that case. Uh, but I was interested in Enron for, for many reasons. Number one, the first jumping jumping off point for me to go deep dive into Enron was the grid and what happened in 2001, the energy trading market. Uh, but then I got interested in what, what were they really accused of doing that was so wrong and how are they able to get away with this? You know, so the regulators actually signed off on a lot of uh, what they did in the energy trading space. I mean, they, they got approval to trade this, this, these energy uh, products that they did, they did. So that, that wasn't actually any, anything that was illegal. It's just, it's so interesting to me because I think it's, you know, exactly what's going on now. And I think that if perhaps they wouldn't have gotten too caught up in the the stock market um, bubble and they didn't see, you know, dollar signs and weren't blinded by their greed, their short-term greed, they probably could have created a very successful long-term company and none of the energy trading, um, what they did in California to cause blackouts, would have ever been prosecuted. It would have not have been illegal because they got approvals and they were just operating under this RTO system. So that's actually, that's, I think that's the takeaway for me is that there's, there's multiple stories in Enron and it just depends on, you know, which, which stories do you want to try to focus in on? You could probably make a whole semester course out of just Enron and just focus in on different aspects of the story. But the writer of Smartest Things, Smartest Guy in the Room, who wrote the story in the book on Enron, she said that, um, you know, ultimately it's about people and like businesses are about people. And I agree with that. Businesses are made up of people and their actions. And the story that we tell about them, the rise and the fall, is so like uh, interesting to, to people. You don't have to like know the intricate details of the trading 
in in um, the energy market and maybe why she didn't focus on that was because no one really cares number two um it's not that interesting to people just you know to most people they want to know about the people involved um and number three what the energy trading that they did probably wasn't really illegal it might have been unethical when they basically asked power plants to shut down sure and that's that's a very interesting part of the story i think that she shared um but it would i think it would be cool to do like a second follow up on that and exploring, you know, um, how, what they did in California with the energy trading actually wasn't illegal. That wasn't part of the fraud. Um, so I'd like to know exactly what was illegal and what wasn't and, you know, explore the ideas of ethics versus law. Um, because I think if it's not illegal, then, you know, if it's not doing something illegal, you, you can't be punished for it. And why would you behave ethically when your competitor is not behaving ethically and, but still isn't doing something illegal and they're making more profits than you are. I think you, if you look at the two people, you would say that the person who's behaving unethically, but, but legally is going to, you know, outcompete the other guy. So there's, there's no real market incentive to behave quote unquote ethically. Um, unless you're sort of looking at the long term of the company, maybe your ego, maybe your reputation, maybe all these things do factor in. Uh, but but for people who are looking for short term gains, which is a lot of people, let's be honest, um, they really, I don't think they have any incentive to behave um, ethically. Now they do have an incentive to behave legally, only if the uh, the regulators actually do enforcement. Which, in my opinion, we have a, a true lack of enforcement and an arbitrary legal system that only punishes certain people. So the point about the accounting fraud that uh, I think this is what um, the creative accounting fraud and the lying is what got Enron. And, um, you know, but I would venture that, that many, many companies are doing the same thing. It was only that it was exposed because I think they depended heavily on uh, their stock price that they were exposed. And then there was, um, you know, legal, legal action taken against them for, for all the pain that they ended up causing employees who lost their pension, their job and their retirement and stuff. So, um, I think if there's a scandal, there's, there's always, it seems like there's a scapegoat, but if you're doing the same thing and you don't get caught, you, uh, but somebody else does like you're almost off the hook because they're sort of going to have one scapegoat, even if a bunch of people are doing the same thing. So I think that is a problem of our legal system. I don't think that we can um, say that we have a, a system of justice or fairness if we're only prosecuting um, certain individuals just arbitrarily and letting other people uh, get away with the same thing. And I also tend to think that um, that I would love to see an accountant look to see what Enron did with their accounting shenanigans like to and today compare it to other companies and say, hey, you know, are they doing something really out there? Or could you say that the same technique is being employed by companies today? And my amateur opinion is that yes, the same techniques are being employed today and it is considered standard and not fraud. And that to me is incredible. It's only been 20 years. And if we've gone from something that they say is a fraud to like accounting fraud to something that's like, Oh, it's just a new accounting technique. It's creative accounting. Then that's, that's uh that's a story to be. 
Um, but that's just my speculation. So um, I intend to go more into RTOs, but um, I'll save that for another time. Um, this was just a general overview of what I've been researching uh, currently.